Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you all. If you have a Bible, could you please turn to the book of James, chapter 1? James, chapter 1. We are going to get there shortly. I hope you managed to have a good time over the festive period, Christmas, New Year. Have a break, have some time chilling out, eating good food. Me and the family, we'd managed to do that. We had some time off. We saw family. We had some time as ourselves as a family. We got to chill out, have food, open presents, get outside, go for walks. It was a good time. But now we're into 2022, and it's kind of hit me like a train after that nice rest. But here we are, um, ready to go. Now, what I want to do, and what is my practice at the outset of the year is to just to kind of remind us uh, who we are as a people, what God's called us to, where we're going, and then I want to share a bit of scripture from um, the beginning of James with us, which will hopefully frame a little bit about how we can sort of process where we are, also looking forward to what 2022 holds for us. And coming back to what we're about as a church, it's been said a few times this morning, but it's always worth re-emphasizing, we're always about Jesus here, we're all about making his name known making his name great. And for me, that became real to me in my early 20s when I was a student at university, despite growing up in a Christian house and kind of going to church and the like. It was just something you did. It wasn't anything particularly real to me. And then when I was at university in my early 20s in Bristol and I was training to be a primary school teacher, um, I met the Lord powerfully. He came and found me and I suddenly saw who this Jesus was that everyone had been talking about for years. I met him face to face and I saw that he was God the Son. He was the mighty, glorious King of Kings, the risen one, the exalted one, the Lion of Judah that we've been singing about. And it utterly wrecked and changed my life. And from that point on, nothing else was the same. I changed because up to that point, I was a legalistic, self-righteous Pharisee. I thought I could earn favor with God by just being better than everyone else. And boy, did I think I was better than everyone else. No one was quite as good as me. And then I realized, having met Jesus, that actually that wasn't the case. And in fact, my righteousness was filthy rags before him. And I realized that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved by his grace alone. And as a result, I became a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And this had a transformative effect on my life. I was baptized in water. So I hadn't done that. Kind of confessed my faith. Got baptized in water. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and knew him as my comforter and my guide. I fell in love with uh, the reading of God's word and prayer and devoured my Bible and got into it and my, my heart affections changed to live life for myself but actually to live for him, follow his ways and to live for his glory and not mine. And at, flowing out of this was the desire for others to know what I had known. When you have, when you're um, hungry and you find bread and you find other people hungry, you want to tell them where they can find bread too. And that was kind of my life, the motivation of my life. I wanted others to know what it meant to be forgiven completely and totally and walk holy before God, to know their Father in heaven and know that love and have a relationship with him, to be part of God's family and to have Christ's righteousness as your own. And as uh, after getting to know Jesus, then what followed on was a captivation for his people, the church, which is the object of Jesus' affection. 
He loves his people. He's for his people, his bride. And so I became kind of enraptured with the vision of the church. And actually, I knew that this is what God wanted me to do. This is what the people God had put me as a part of. And I wanted to give my life to being part of a local church congregation and living out my walk with Jesus there. And I came to see that the local church was the hope of the world. It was this community of believers that God gathers in groups all over this earth are the way that we work out our faith, the way that we live together, the way that we learn from one another. Like we're going to do when doing Christmas to the cross. We're going to walk together, learn from one another. We're not designed to be in isolation as believers. And as a result of that, I became a follower of Jesus and a devoted member of a local church. And then when the Lord called me and my family to move here to Sutton Coalfield to start this local church. This was all part, a continuation of the story of what God had done in my life. And he spoke to us about the church that we were going to start and what it was going to look like. And I just want to remind you of three things that God spoke to us um, about this church. And the first thing is that we would be a large church, that we would grow numerically. God has always wanted a people for himself, and he's always wanted that people to grow. If you take the story of the Bible... You go to the beginning, what does God do? He makes Adam and Eve. Well, there's two. And what's the first thing he says to them? He says, you will multiply and fulfill the earth. That's what you're going to do. You're going to grow numerically. And you go move forward a few chapters, you find Abraham. And God comes to Abraham in the desert and says, through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world. And your descendants, they're going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand under your feet which means there's going to be many, many, many of them. You carry that through and you see the people of Israel and the great nation of Israel that God brings out of Abraham. And then you move into the New Testament and we find the church of Jesus Christ, which multiplies on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus says, go everywhere and tell everyone about me. And then we look forward right to the end. We go to the book of Revelation and we see a multitude before the throne of God from every people and every tribe and every nation and every language. And what are they all doing? They're all worshipping Jesus Jesus wants his people to grow and multiply. And God has spoken to me and us as a people consistently about that over the years. I remember very early on, I'd only been a Christian a few years, and I I took a year out. um, And during one of those kind of meetings, church meetings, just like this, and I was sitting somewhere at the back, as um, as was my habit, I got picked out by someone who brought a prophetic word and says, God's going to do a deep work in you because he's going to build a big building on top of you. And you need to have deep foundations for a tall building. And God's going to do something big like that. And I was just, I was at the back like that, petrified, like, why are you talking to me? And then later, as I went through, God spoke to me about filling warehouses, filling big buildings with people and his vision. And seeing that and preaching to them. Talk about walking in bigger shoes. Someone once brought me prophetically and they brought me this little tiny pair of baby shoes like this. They were little newborn shoes and they put them in front of me and said that's what you're walking in and then he brought a bigger pair of shoes and a bigger pair finally like a pair of size 13 shoes he says that's what you're going to walk in that's what you're going to walk in God's going to do bigger things with you than ever you could ever imagine and so when we came to start real life church here we knew that God was going to grow something big because he had spoken about it and we want to see a church to grow and many many people fill this place with his praises because he's worthy of them God also said he was going to build an influential church. Church isn't designed to be a holy huddle, an exclusive group, a clique, where we all come and just hang out with ourselves and no one else is allowed. Actually, God has designed his church to have an effect on the world around us. Jesus described his followers two ways. He just says, you are like salt, and he says, you are like light. And salt 
uh, brings out flavour and it prevents decay. When you know salt is present because it does its work. It's like a light which guides and reveals and shows things. And we as his people are like to be like that. We're to be salt and light. So we're to have an effect on the world around us. Both as individuals as we go about our life. But as a gathered church family as well. To have an influence on the culture around us. And whatever we, wherever you find yourself and whatever you do. That's what we're to be like. Salt and light in there. I remember my first job. After I'd taken my year out, I trained to be a primary school teacher and I got my first job in a local school uh, and I loved it. But I remember the Lord speaking to you about it and saying, actually, you're in this place for a reason and you have a job to teach children, be part of a staff team, serve the parents, but actually you're there to be salt and light. And how you act in that place matters. And the way that you speak to the children, the way you work with your colleagues and the way you deal with the parents on the playground is important. And you're meant to show me and and show my kind of glory in those places and how you act with humility and grace and kindness in those ways is important. And so I was to be salt and light in those places. And when we moved here, God spoke to us as a church from Jeremiah 29 about being good to our community being good to the people we are around us. As a church, we don't just exist for ourselves, we exist for the good of those around us, the good of our city, the good of our town, the good of our street, the good of our workplace, our schools, our social groups, wherever we find ourselves, we're there to be a positive influence. We're there to be a place where we see God's kingdom advance. That we are in, we're, we're there and people want us to be there because of what we bring. And if we weren't there, people would notice because our influence, our positive influence, our positive attitude has been taken from them. And so we're to be a large influential church and we're also to be a reproducing church. God wants us to multiply as a people. Living healthy things multiply. That's what he asked Adam and Eve to, that's what he want to ask to. We want to see people come to know Jesus for themselves. We want to see people become Christians. We've had the privilege last year of having that in our family, having new babies, so to speak, spiritual babies. And that's wonderful. We also want to start new churches. This one began almost, it'll be 11 years ago in a couple of weeks. Feels longer, doesn't it? For some of you have been, <laughs> some of you have been there. But God wants us to do that and to continue that. And we want to plant more churches. He spoke to us before we came here um, four times in four different occasions, but every time the same thing. And he says, you use a church, you can be like a strawberry plant. He says, you're going to multiply like a strawberry plant. I knew nothing about strawberry plants. So I went and looked them up. Wikipedia saves me so often. And strawberry plants, you grow, they bear fruit, they're wonderful, but they send out runners. And the runners then go into the ground and create more plants that bear more fruit. And you get multiplication and multiplication. And if you've seen a wild strawberry patch, you can't tell where one starts and the other finishes because they've just grown and multiplied. And God has called us to be a church that reproduces, that doesn't just stay stagnant in on itself. But as we be influential, as we grow, as we seek to preach the gospel, serve the poor, love those around us, that others in turn, would come to know Jesus for themselves. And one day we will plant other churches. I've been saying this for nearly 11 years now. Hasn't happened yet, but we're still praying, we're believing God is going to do that amongst us. God is going to raise up church planters from among us who we will equip, train, resource, and send out to plant new churches. And I'm excited and looking forward to it. So that's the kind of church that God wants us to build. That's the one he's called us to be a part of here at Real Life Church. Um, but I just want to look at a couple of verses from Scripture now to kind of frame some of the stuff that we've gone through also as we look forward. Because 
Most of the time I've done these sermons, it's been kind of just in the, the, the run of life. But the last 18 months have been a little bit different, haven't they? They've been a little bit uh, kind of left field, and we, haven't, we weren't expecting that at all. So if you've got your Bible, <clears throat> I'm going to read from the book of James. Now, a little bit of background. James yeah, wrote a letter, the sort of back end of our New Testament, uh, and he was actually the brother of Jesus. That's good to have on your resume, isn't it? Anyone in your family is significant? Well, my brother is the Messiah, the God, the Son, Savior of the world. But initially, James didn't believe that about his brother. I have two brothers, and if they told me that they were the Messiah, I wouldn't believe them either. So we can forgive James for that. So James didn't believe them. But later on, Jesus died rose again. He becomes a convert. He sees that Jesus was who he said he was. And he becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a significant church at the time. You read through the book of Acts. He becomes kind of the main guy, the main leader. And he is hugely influential in that role. Particularly in, um, when the, the Gentiles and non-Jews come into the church. And actually they have to work out what that means. James is the one who kind of gives the, the pronouncement about that. He's mentioned by Paul in the book of Galatians. And then later he writes a letter that bears his name. So this was a significant individual in the early church. And in the first few verses of the letter he is speaking to all believers everywhere. If you read the kind of verse 1 there he's basically talking to everyone. He says to all the, all the people who are spread out around the world, all the followers of Jesus. And then he says this. This is what he says. We're going to look at verse 2. Actually, it's going to appear on the screen behind, actually, if you haven't got your Bible. I'm going to read it out to you. It's just a few short verses, and then we're going to talk about it. It says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing Okay, I always want to look at the what, the why, and the result of these verses quickly this morning. Okay, first one, the what, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Wait, what? Run that by me again, James. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Huh? So, first thing, let's go through that. First thing, he says, count it all joy. Count the idea of counting out money, you count it out to find out how you got it, but he says you want to count it joy. And this is an encouragement and exhortation from James. He's saying, do this. This isn't a request or a suggestion. You are to do this, church. Count it all joy. Okay, I'm happy for joy. I like the sound of joy. And this is brothers, so he's talking to the family here. Count it joy, brothers. I'm on board, James. When you meet trials... Of various kinds. Suddenly you lost me there. Not quite on board anymore. You want me to count it joy when I meet trials. What do you mean by trials? Well, trials can be internal or external. They can be external things that come upon us. Situations that land on our lap, crash into our lives. Or they can be internal things 
uh, like temptation that pulls us and entices us away from following Jesus. So you've got external things that come onto us and internal things that uh, come out of us because our own sort of fallen nature. And they have a very broad application. He says various kinds. So they could be things like sickness and loneliness and bereavement and disappointment and poverty, persecution, bitterness, anger, envy, lust, gluttony, jealousy. All of these things kind of come under that broad term of trials. And I think it would be fair to say that over the last 18 months, we've hit a few of them, haven't we? There have been pressure from the outside and our own internal responses to that and how we've had to process that and what we've done. And they can press on us and push on us. And the Bible is not shy about telling us that life can be tough, sometimes very tough, very hard for all of us. And Jesus himself never promised that we'd be exempt from difficulties by following him. In fact, he even said the opposite. If you follow me, do you know what? It's going to get tougher. And James is saying to Christians that he's not saying that you shouldn't experience other emotions. Bear in mind who James is. James is uh, the guy whose brother was murdered brutally by the Romans. He also leads the church in Jerusalem where the first Christian martyr took place. Stephen was murdered, one of his congregants. So he's, he's, he's dealt with it. He's, he knows what life is like. He knows what life can throw at you. He knows what it means to be under pressure. And he's not saying you shouldn't feel other emotions, but he says there is, within that, there is a counting of joy in it. There should be joy as we look at the trials of life that come upon us. Now that's the what. Let's look at the why. Because the first question you ask when someone says that is like, why? That beautiful question that small children learn. And then they remind you that they know that word again and again and again. Why? Why? Well, we've got that word for, which is the Bible's why. Why should we count it joy? It says for, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Okay, that word know there is, um, when the Bible talks about knowing, it's talking about faith-based knowledge. It's not talking about just an idea. It's talking about a certainty. It says, you know, there's a certainty in your spirit that you know, and it's born out of trust of who God is, his nature, and his character. And he says that you know the testing. That word testing is the word they use to ref- when they refine uh, precious metals, like gold or silver. They would heat them up in a furnace so they were super hot. They would become a liquid. And then what would happen was the, met- the dross, the impurities in the metal, would then rise to the top because they could be scooped off. And when the, uh, the, the, you, you kind of um, let it cooled, the metal that you had left was purer than when you started, therefore more valuable because the impurities had been removed. And so he's saying that you know certainty that when you are refined, you become purer. And the, proje- the production of that, what it produces, and when he talks about producers, he's talking about a complete action there. Something happens out of this, a certainty. It produces steadfastness, which is perseverance, endurance, patience, all those ideas. The idea there, the picture behind there is someone who is picking up or carrying a heavy load and then they're carrying it for a distance. And so they keep going doing that. They've got this big load that they're carrying and they don't give up, they don't quit, they keep going. And so he's saying that Christians learn to remain faithful to God over the long haul when they face difficulties. When trials come into your life, we get stronger in faith as we approach them with the Lord. And this isn't just something unique to James. It's not something we can write off and say, well, James, well, you know, you're just full of it. You're the Lord's brother. 
you know, write you off. His epistles at the back of the, the New Testament will ignore that. No, Paul and Peter, who again, two um, men in the Bible who were intimately um, associated with suffering and trials in what they went through, both martyred for their faith. Paul in Romans write this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Same idea. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James is making the connection. When we go through difficulties, it makes us stronger in faith, and that's why we count it joy. And so there's a question just to stop and ask yourself here. If you've been following the Lord a little while, when have you found that you most grow in faith, that you most grow in knowledge of who God is and what he's capable of? I would submit to you that it was in the times that you found most difficult, the times you found hard, because in those times you've had to cling on to Jesus because you've got nothing else. You've got nothing else. When things are easy, which we all long for, <laughs> when things are smooth and plain sailing and the seas are flat, that's nice and we can enjoy it. But be honest, we don't grow very much in those seasons. It's when the wind blows and the waves come and you suddenly realize that you have to cling on to something, that you do that. And for me, I can testify to that. When we started Real Life Church, we moved here 2010 in August, and there was me, and there was Melanie initially, and a one-year-old, and then we had some people who were going to kind of move up afterwards. It was terrifying, and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. I left a job that I resigned, full-time job, sold a house. Melanie had a job. She resigned. We moved up here. I was working two jobs that didn't pay as much as we had. We are, our household income went down by 40% over six months because of this, the change. And then trying to start the church and people moving up and then getting going with a tiny number of people. Uh, and then we had a second baby, which... In hindsight, wasn't the best planning, but was there a priority, a blessing, and a gift? And so we, were had, we had two under two trying to run a church of like 20 people, which was just hard work. But God was gracious. In that time, I knew God was faithful to his word. He was faithful to us. He said certain things, and he came through, and God grew us to what we are now. But then 18 months ago, Mr. Johnson came on the telly and said, we're having a lockdown. We said, that's fine. It's just a couple of weeks. We'll get through Easter into the summer. It'll be okay. <laughs> we're still here. And I want to tell you, those, these last 18 months have tested my faith on whether we're going to keep going, whether this is going to keep going, whether we're going to survive, whether we can do online church, which we did for a season, whether that's even going to work. Are people even going to come back? Is this going to, is this going to, is this going to, we're going to make it all I've invested for the last 10 years. Is it just going to come to nothing because of what COVID has done to the world and the economy and the like? Are we going to, I had all those questions and I had many more and I, I, I ran to God, but we've come through it and my faith has grown as a result. God, you are faithful you were faithful when we started this thing. You were faithful 10 years into the journey when Corona let loose. And God, you are still faithful. And I've grown in faith through it. Has it been easy? Heck no. But actually, reflecting back now, the fact that I've gone through it 
has grown me. And it's like, yeah, God, you are faithful. And I am better for it. A commentator says this, the difficulties of life are intended by God to refine our faith, heating it in the crucible of suffering so that purities might be refined away and so that it might become pure and valuable before the Lord, which is what's happening when you go through trials and testing. And then let's look at the last one, verse four, the result. So we've got, the suffering produces steadfastness, but actually that's not the goal patient endurance he says and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing the idea there is it talks about steadfastness and it says it will have its full effect and that is the complete work which is the response of faith when we respond in faith to what God's doing it will have a complete work in us if we persevere if we keep going and then it says that you the believer may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that mean? Well, perfect and complete basically means to mature, to grow up in character. It's talking about moral integrity. It's talking about holiness. It's basically talking about becoming more like Jesus. And it says lacking in nothing, that you will have the character of Christ in your life. That will be formed in you. God's desire, God's heart for you is for you to become more like Jesus. He's more concerned in your character than your comfort. And he wants to grow you and become more like Jesus. And so the what is that we are to count it joy when we face trials. Why? Because it produces steadfastness. And the result of that steadfastness is that we become more like Jesus. That we become more like Jesus. And many of us have prayed those prayers. Over your Christian walk, I imagine certain times and certain places, I know I've done it, when I've prayed prayers like, Lord, make me more like Jesus. Grow me in righteousness. Grow me in holiness. Grow me in you know, character, all those things. And God, God said, fine, okay. <laughs> That's what you want. That's what my heart's desire is. Difficulties in life come and test us and grow us in those things. Make us more like this. And I've seen it not only in my life, I've actually seen it in the life of my son over, his, over um, the last few months. My eldest son, Levi, has just started secondary school, which is just a kind of a natural progression. You go through school, you get to a certain age, you have to go to big school. But if you, when you're actually living through it as a parent, it's terrifying because they've been at a primary school, which is small and kind of nurturing. Uh, I worked in them. I like those environments. You had one teacher, 30 kids. You had them all the time. You knew them. It was great. They go to big school. You suddenly have 1,500 pupils in a building. They've got to move around all the time. They've got to be responsible for getting, getting their games kit and bringing their science textbooks and moving around and then sorting out their own money to go and buy stuff in the canteen. And when Levi was getting ready to go, I was frightened. I was like, I didn't want him to go to big school. I was like, can he stay in primary school? I, it's safer there. It's nicer there. But actually, no, he had to go. And he's been there a term now, and I am staggered at the growth he's been through. Has it been easy for him? No. Because he's had to negotiate his way. He's got to, have to make new friends. And he's been in new classrooms with new teachers. He comes back someday and I said, do you have a good lessons day? You did history day? Yeah. I said, what's the name of your teacher? No idea. There was a dude at the front. No idea. And then he, then he has another son. Well, what's the name of your science teacher? No idea. There was this lady. She was talking about something. No idea who it is. And he's got to learn... He's got to learn the days of teaching. He's got to go places. We, he has a little bit of money we put on a kind of an account so we can buy stuff in the cafeteria. He's had to learn to budget because we gave him some money. Said, you, this is what you got for a week. Once it's gone, it's gone. But he's learned to budget. He's learned to move around the classroom. He's made new friends. He's found his way from A to B. He lost something one day and was like, go find it. This isn't primary school where it's, the teacher's going to come and give it to you. You've got to go and find it. And he did. And what's happened in 
14 weeks of a term, he's grown through the trials of life that have just come through him. And I think actually that's what God does with us. He loves us and sometimes we move into new stages and it's hard and it's tough and things come at us, but we grow as a result. And God as a father loves us, wants us to grow and he ultimately wants us to become more like Jesus. And the trials of life and things that come in do that. One commentator says this, Why can believers react to trials with so strange and unexpected a response as joy? Because we know that God uses trials to perfect our faith and make us stronger Christians. And so, just going to end now, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to worship. But we've faced trials over the last 18 months, various forms, and, and you can talk to people, and you'll know them, and they come in various kind of sort of um, various disguises, various ways. We're not all the same. We all face different ones, and we react differently. But our response as believers is we are to count it joy when we face them, not exclusive of other emotions. Yeah, it can be scary. Yeah, it can be tough. Yeah, we can be afraid. They're all emotions we find in our Bible, but they should all turn us to the Lord till we cry out to him because through them he will grow us in faith. And we know this from life. If you ever try to work out or get fit or do anything, what does it involve? Hard, sweaty work. (laughs) You can't get better, stronger, fitter in anything without putting some work in. You have to go through trials. You have to get harder and your muscles then get bigger and stronger and your cardiovascular system gets, gets more efficient. And you have to do things better. But it takes hard work. But also, anyone who's worked out or trained for something will say at the end, it was worth it because I'm now fitter and stronger than I was. And it's the same with our spiritual walk, our spiritual life. And so, as we finish, I'd love you to reflect on last year, 2021. I talked to a lot of people about 2021, and it's the response I would say is usually muted in how do you feel about 2021. Look back. What are the trials you went through? How has the Lord grown you? Because I think one of the key things with this passage is not that we won't go through trials. That's a given. It's our attitude towards them. How do we look at them? How do we face them? It doesn't mean we minimize them. Bad things are still bad. Tough things are still tough. But it's how we look at them in light of the Lord. Are there attitudes we need to change? Are there things we need to reflect on? Because there were definitely moments last year when my attitude was poor towards the trials that I'd face. And the bit where it says, if James had come to me and said, count it joy, my brother, I'd have punched him. I'd have repented later, but I'd have punched him. I was like, there's no the joy, no. <laughs> it's, not, it's not joyful, James, sorry. But actually, I look back now and think, actually... God has grown me. I'm stronger, fitter in Christ as a result. As we look towards the future, where is God taking us at the moment? I don't know. I've talked to a lot of people about what they're looking forward to in 2022. The response is muted <laughs> because it's like, I just don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen with the God. Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? We hope it's going to get better, but we're not sure. We're reserving judgment till June, and then we'll be able to tell you how we feel about 2022. But actually what we do know is that we can count it joy because whatever happens, God will grow us and refine us and make us more like Jesus. And he will still lead us. He will still take us to what he's called us to. It might not be the route we'd thought. It might not be the way we'd thought, but we are going to get there because he's a gracious, good, kind, and loving God. And as we move into this um, new term, this new year, next week, we're starting our new sermon series, which will roll us down to Easter. We're going to be looking at the book of Leviticus. Count it all joy 
when you face trials of various kinds. We're going to call it, call it Into His Presence. The book of Leviticus is an amazing book about coming into the presence of God. About what it means to be people who can stand in God's presence and worship Him. So it's going to be an exciting time. So as the people of God, we're going to come into the presence of God. We're going to learn about that. So that's be starting next Sunday. See how many of you come back. <laughs> people who aren't here, when they tell you about next Sunday, don't mention the sermon. Just say, it's going to be amazing. Come. And just, just gloss over that. Um, the kids, they've started their new series, Feet in the Dream about being in part of what God has called you. Are you going to put your feet in the dream? Are you going to go where God is going with us as a people? Are you going to kind of get on board with that? The calling that he's called you to become more Christ-like, to serve wherever you find yourself. And the same question comes to us. Are we going to put our feet in the dream? We can become part of this family and say, yes, this is where we're going. This is what we want to do. And if any of you are uncertain, any of you are just struggling with that, if any of you are still kind of feeling it's just hard, we want to know, we want to stand with you, we want to pray for you, we want to love you, we want to do what we can to care for you and help you move forward. And we can't wave magic wands and get rid of stuff, but we can stand by you, we can pray you, we can encourage you, and we can keep you going in all the things. Because we are to count it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds. Because ultimately it's about the refining of our faith and growing more and more like Jesus. Because ultimately that's the only thing that's going to last into eternity anyway. All the things of this world will just pale and burn up one day. So do you want to stand? I'm going to pray. Band come up. We are going to finish. Maybe you just want to close your eyes, open your hands. Holy Spirit, we pray, we ask you come now. Be with us as your people. Fill us afresh today, Lord God. We recognize that your heart, your goal for us is good. You love us, you're for us, you want to grow us, you want to make us more Christ-like, you want to refine us, you want to remove the dross, the impurities, the bad attitudes that we have in our hearts that we know don't honor you. God, but we also recognize it can be hard. Some of you are still going through things now, and you're like, it's just hard. And we want to pray for your peace to be on us as we endure, as we keep going. God continues to grow steadfastness in us, not a fickle nature like we so often see in the world. Trends and winds of fashion blow this way and that way, and suddenly this is flavor of the month, and suddenly this is not. But we want to be people who are steadfast in you, who keep following you when things are good, but also when the wind and the waves come. Because we know you're with us, you will not leave us, you watch over us, you guard us. And even when we do face those trials and go through the valleys, you are there leading us, comforting us, working with us. And if you know that you're facing trials now, just cry out to God. Cry out to God, even if it's in the pain and the hurt, cry out to him. Because he loves you and he knows about you. For those of you who reflect on last year, Reflect on where you've gone now. If you see growth, praise God. Count that a joy that God has done a work in your life over the past 18 months. And as we look forward to the new year and what happens and who knows, we count it joy, God, when things and trials come. We don't seek them, but when they do, God, we know that you're working in our lives and we thank you for that. We can trust in your grace and mercy. We thank you. Don't leave us alone. You equip us for them. And we'll praise you and we worship you. And God's people said, Amen.